All right, I trust you still have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're uh, while you're finding it, we get to finish up chapter 1 this morning, verses 26 through the uh, uh, through the end of the chapter through verse 31. And uh, for for those of y'all who've been with us since the beginning of First Corinthians, if you're wanting a little breather from First Corinthians, we'll get it next week. Uh, next week, uh, I need you to pray for uh, pray for me if you would. I hope you pray for me all the time, but uh, definitely pray for me uh, starting uh, next Sunday, next Sunday through next Wednesday. Uh, I'll be preaching a series of revival messages in Parkersburg. So. Uh, at Southside Baptist Church in Parkersburg. So next Sunday morning, uh, you're, you're going to be blessed. A uh, uh, young man, a, a dear friend, a good guy, uh, Gavin Bauer, will be filling the pulpit uh, next Sunday morning. Gavin is a, he's part of my Bible study at, the, at, the, at Bluefield College. He's a member at Johnson's Chapel, a very faithful uh, member at Johnson's Chapel. I told him I wish he wasn't so faithful because if he wasn't, then we'd get him here and he'd be faithful here. But no, that's just kidding. Uh, but uh, well, kind of. <laughs> but no, he's a, he's a faithful member at Johnson's Chapel, and he's preached in several of our Southern Baptist churches. Uh, most recently, he preached at uh, Fellowship Baptist Church, where my mom attends. But anyway, you'll be blessed to hear uh, hear Gavin uh, bring bring the word to you next week, and then the week after that, Lord willing, we'll be starting chapter two in First Corinthians. So this morning we finish up. Uh, starting verse 26 through verse 31. I don't know if you've noticed, it, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like really over the last several years that we, we get really, really, as believers, as evangelical Christians, we seem to get really, really, really excited when somebody famous professes faith in Christ or brings up the, the name of Christ. We get really, really excited about that, like it's, you know, the best thing that's ever happened in the world. Now, don't get me wrong, we should always get excited when when somebody becomes a Christian or when somebody professes faith in Christ. We should always get excited about that. But why is it that you, why do you think that we get so excited when somebody famous professes faith? Just in the few, past few months, I don't know if you followed on social media or, or whatever, but just in the past few months, social media absolutely went nuts when Kanye West professed faith in Christ. It was like every news feed, every whatever was just continually bombarding the fact that Kanye West professed faith in Christ. And, you know, that's good and that's great. More recently, I thought that the whole Internet was going to break when Justin Bieber professed faith in Christ. I forgot all about Justin Bieber. I forgot that he even existed. <laughs> But then all of a sudden the Internet just absolutely blew up when he professed faith in Christ. Well, I think it was last week, maybe maybe within uh, you know a little bit more than a week, something like that, I was listening to uh, you know the magazine Christianity Today. Christianity Today, they have a, a podcast. And I was listening to that podcast maybe a week or so ago. And the co-host on that show was was just going on. I mean, she was just like gushing about the fact that those two famous guys, that Kanye and Bieber, that they got saved. She was just gushing about that. And then she said something that, that really just kind of, it gave me pause. She said something to the effect of, she said, can you imagine 
what an amazing kingdom impact that those two can make with the tremendous platform that they have. And that really got me to thinking. You know, I, I hate to rain on her parade, but if Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan and the endless parade of really famous folks that professed faith in Christ, if they couldn't win the world for Jesus, then I really doubt that Bieber and Kanye will. See, the fact is, God did not choose in God's infinite wisdom, in God's in God's amazing, mind-blowing plan, He did not choose to win the world through famous people. Amen? He didn't choose to win the world through strong people, through powerful people. He didn't choose to win the world through influential people. You see, if God was going to win the world through influential people, it probably already would have been done. You think about the effort and the energy that evangelical Christians have put into the election process in the last 50 years and the emphasis on electing the, quote, right politicians. You think about it, evangelical Christians got, believe it or not, got Jimmy Carter, got Ronald Reagan, got George H.W. Bush, got George W. Bush, and got Donald Trump elected. That's five presidents in the last less than 50 years. But in that same time period, what has happened to the cause of Christ in our country? More people are not saved now, not professing faith now, than were 50 years ago. Right? I hear, I hear us lament that all the time, that the fact, you know, what, what has happened to our country? So if if just getting the, quote, right people elected, if getting powerful people, you know, believers or, or whatever in powerful positions, if that was going to win the world to Christ, then it would have been done already. Now, is it important to vote? Of course it is. Please don't take anything that I'm saying as, as denigrating that. You know, people died to give us that right, so it's important to vote. And your vote matters. Elections have consequences, of course. All of those things are true. But just understand that God did not choose to reach the world for Christ through the ballot box. So why is it? Why is it as believers? Why is it that we're continually looking for somebody powerful or somebody famous or somebody super gifted to be the one to reach the world for Christ? Why are we always looking for that, that famous or powerful or strong person? Now, you know, when I said that this seems like it's happened over the last, however, recently, no, it's not really a recent thing. It's not a new thing either. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what was happening with the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was, was looking for someone who'd make a big splash. They were looking for the big show. They were wanting power and prestige and status. That's why it speaks so well into our time. That was what they were looking for in their leaders. That's what they were looking for in themselves. They were wanting power and strength and popularity. They were wanting all of these things and thinking that that was how they were going to have influence. So in our passage this morning, it's almost like Paul says, okay, we're going to have a little heart-to-heart. 
In our passage this morning, Paul is going to have a little talk with them. Now remember that Paul has already told them that God works through words and works through methods that the world thinks are silly. And then on top of that, he, he told God, told people that God respond, told us that God responds to worship that the world thinks is silly. This morning, he's going to tell us that God works through people that the world thinks are silly. I'm picturing Paul sitting down and having a conversation with us this morning, just, just like he was with the church at Corinth. And as he's having that conversation, just like a good conversationalist, the first thing that he says is, hey, let's talk about you for a little bit. Look at verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now, if you're... If you're looking for a way to start a conversation with somebody, it's a good thing to start off with talking about them. But um, you can take that from Paul, but don't take this other part from Paul. (laughs) Don't talk negatively (laughs) about him. And that's what Paul was doing here. So, But Paul wasn't trying to be a good conversationalist, was he? No, Paul was trying to get the church at Corinth to see where they'd gone off the rails. See, the church at Corinth, they were, they were fighting and they were fussing with each other. But that was really just the, the, the symptom. The real problem was they, were, they had a heart problem. The heart of their fussing and fighting was, at their core, they were full of pride. They were full of selfishness. They thought they were somebody when they really weren't. In other words, they got too big for their britches. See, they thought they were somebody, but Paul reminds them here, right off the bat, he reminds them that before God called them, you weren't anybody. Look at what he tells them. He basically says, look, y'all ain't that smart. How's that a way to start a conversation, right? Y'all ain't that smart. You might have a hard time telling the difference between your shoe size and your IQ. And you don't really have any political power either. If you think you've got status through political power, I'm going to tell you, if you were trying to run for dog catcher, you'd probably get beat by a cat. You're not going to have any of that. And you don't have much of a name either. You know, if you think that your name is going to get you anywhere, now, now Donald Trump, he can put his name on buildings and airplanes and all kinds of stuff. But the only thing you probably put your name on is, like me, is maybe a mortgage or a car note, <laughs> right? Corinth, when you look at it, Corinth was just like Parkview. A church that's pastored by a nobody and full of a whole bunch of nobodies. Wow, that's a nice way to talk, isn't it? Well, it's true, isn't it? I say that with love. And and as you receive that, hopefully you receive that in love. The church at Corinth, I don't know that they were receiving it in love. They might have been insulted. They might have been angry when Paul laid this out in front of them. But it didn't didn't really matter, did it? Because what he said was true. It was absolutely true. It was true for them, and it's true for us. 
I want you to notice something before we move in, move on, and that's a little a little thing in in the grammar that Paul uses here. Did you notice the verb tense that Paul uses in this passage? He uses the past tense, doesn't he? He says, "Not many of you were wise. Not many of you." were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. See, that's who they were in the past, and that's who we were in the past. But something happened to them, didn't it? God happened. God happened. So Paul moves on from talking about them, and now it's time for them to say, now it's time for Paul to say, okay, let's move from talking about you to let's let's talk about God for a little bit. Look at verses 27 through 29. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, if you go through that verse, you see that the, that the name that God is mentioned four times. In that passage, the the word that's mentioned almost that many times, three times, is the word chose. I don't know if you circle in your Bible. It's a good idea to circle, <clears throat> circle that, circle the times that chosen is used. <clears throat> when I was growing up, I know it's hard to believe when you look at this, you know, this fine physique standing up here in front of you. But when I was growing up, I wasn't the most athletic kid, right? I, I know it's hard hard to believe. When I played basketball, and I loved basketball, still love the game of basketball. But when I played basketball, what I lacked in shooting ability, I made up for in not being able to dribble well. So, you know, I pretty much had everything covered there. Coach always told me, he said, he said, Drake, now, when you get the ball, you need to pass it. <laughs> Immediately. You find somebody and pass the ball. I thought that meant because I was a great passer, but I realize now that it was because he didn't trust me to dribble the ball. My job, I had one job playing basketball, and that was whoever their best player was, it was my job to defend whoever their best player was. So I didn't have skill, I didn't have ability, I didn't have talent, anything like that. I had hustle, and I had elbows. And maybe I didn't have the most ethical basketball coach, but he told me, he said, he said, you've got five fouls, and I expect you to use every single one of them. He said, if the game finishes and you're still in the game, that means that you didn't do your job. So, okay, you get the point. I wasn't what you call a gifted athlete. And that meant that not just on the court for school, Anytime, you know, I told you I loved the game, so I'd love to play pickup ball and all that kind of stuff. You know what happens when you play pickup ball, right? When you play pickup ball, you have two people and they pick teams, right? So you know where I was. You know, if there was the, the, the handicapped kid in the wheelchair, he was picked before me. <laughs> I was always the last one picked. I was always the last one chosen. And if you've ever been the last one chosen for anything, you know how that feels, right? Let me tell you something. God is not waiting until all the good ones have been picked before He chooses you. 
Bible says that God chose you before the foundation of the world. Anytime that you say that, it's a, it's a mind blowing thing because we're we're constrained by time and we're trying to figure all that stuff out how it works in our timeline. But it's not in our timeline; it's in God's eternal counsels. It's a mystery how all that works. It's a mystery, but it's a fact because the Bible says it's a fact. And don't let that fact confuse you. Instead of letting that fact confuse you, then let it comfort you. Let it comfort you that God chose you before the foundation of the world. It should comfort you because it means that God didn't choose you, He didn't choose me based on our abilities. He didn't pick all the smart and the famous and the powerful and the good-looking people before He gets to us. No, whether you're... Whether you're smart or whether you're foolish in the world's eyes, God chose you. Whether you're strong or whether you're weak in the world's eyes, God chose you. Whether you're highbrow or whether you're a lowlife in the world's eyes, God chose you. Whether you're popular or whether you're completely anonymous, completely unknown to anybody in the world's eyes, God chose you. And when God chose you, he, he didn't sit back and say, hmm, I wonder who's the most qualified. No, He didn't choose you. He didn't consider your qualifications. He didn't ask for a resume. He didn't check your references. He didn't need a background check. He didn't need a credit check. Now, as a believer this morning, you can rest assured that God didn't call you because of who you are. God chose you because of who He is. Amen? Now, before I go on, I need to say something about calling. Because any time that the Bible talks about calling and talks about choosing, people immediately want to get off track on that. Does God call? Does God choose? Yes, that's what the Bible clearly says. That's what our passage clearly says. God calls, God chooses. Another word that's used is God elects. The fact is, nobody gets saved that God hasn't already chosen for salvation. But at the same time, before you get off track on that, but at the same time, the Bible clearly teaches that each of us freely chooses whether to trust Jesus as Savior or not. The Bible clearly tells us that everyone who believes will be saved. Amen? In eternity, you think of it this way, in eternity, nobody's going to be sitting in heaven who is surprised that they got there. Nobody's going to be sitting in heaven who did not willingly choose to follow Jesus and trust Jesus as Lord and Master. And at the same time, there's not going to be anybody in hell who hasn't willingly chosen to reject Christ. God's choice in election, it's, it's not something to... I mean, we overcomplicate this stuff too much. It's not something that we need to get wrapped around the axle about. No, God's choice in election is something that we need to take great comfort in because the comfort is in the fact that He didn't rely on anything that we would pick. He chose us because of who He is, not because of who He is, or because of who we are. No, God didn't choose you based on your qualifications. God didn't choose you based on your own goodness. God chose you based on Jesus' qualifications. He chose you based on Jesus' goodness and Jesus' mercy and Jesus' grace and His grace alone. 
He chose you because He loves you with a love that you can't even begin to fathom. So really, before we move on, are you sitting here wondering whether or not God has chosen you? then all you have to do is willingly trust Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, and you know that He has chosen you. See, God chooses, you respond. That's what the Bible teaches. John chapter 3, verse 15 says that everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And you're not going to have eternal life based on your works or your qualifications or on your goodness. Your salvation is not based on anything that you bring to the table. Your salvation is only based on what Christ brought to the cross and what we recognize around this table. Isaiah 53.10 says that it pleased the Father to crush His Son for you. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy that was set before Him. So no matter how foolish you are, no matter how weak you are, no matter how lowly you are, even if you're absolutely nothing in the world's eyes, that's who we all were before God called us. Now don't get me wrong. This isn't saying that God never calls or saves rich people and He never calls or saves powerful people. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that the rich and powerful people never get saved because of their own riches and power. No amount of riches or power can reduce the hotness of hell by even one-tenth of one degree. Thank God that He chooses to save you and me based on Jesus' qualifications and not ours. Amen? Now, before we go any further, I mean, we got plenty of sermon left to go, but before we get, go any further, after talking about that, I need to ask you, have you been saved? Have you been saved? Have you freely chosen Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior? Or are you still trying to trust in your own strength and your own smarts and your own power and your own wisdom and your own strength? Or have you realized that no matter what your talents talents and abilities and those kinds of things are, have you realized that no matter what those kinds of things are, that you're nothing without Jesus? See, like I said, we're not done here this morning. But that doesn't mean that you can't call out to Jesus right now to be your Lord and Master and Savior. It doesn't mean that if you're hearing God's call right now on your life that you need to be saved, then you need to be saved now. You need to respond now, right where you're seated. Pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Confess the fact that you're nothing without Him. Turn from trusting in yourself and turn to trusting in Him alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, and you will be saved. You'll prove yourself to be God's chosen. See, you are the whosoever will that the Bible talks about. But only if you will. And if you will, or if you already have, then Paul moves on to the next part of his discussion. He wants to continue that conversation with us by, t- by talking to us about you and me in Christ. He talked about 
And he talked to you, to us, and then he talked about God for a while. Now he's going to talk about you and me in Christ. Look at verses 30 and 31. He says, And because of him you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, for those of you who are believers before you walked into this place this morning, and for those of you who might have become believers since we've been here this morning, you need to understand that we are in Christ. That's our identity. We are in Christ. As a believer, that means that Jesus now lives in you and you live in Him. We talk about inviting Jesus into our heart, but it's not just that Jesus lives in us. It also means that we live in Him. And when we live in Christ, that means that His Holy Spirit guides you and guards you and keeps you. His Spirit lives in you. He lives in you and He will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you because He has sealed you to the day of redemption. And when we say all that, don't get confused and think that, well, that means that life's going to be free of troubles. No, it doesn't mean that life is free of troubles when you're in Christ. Actually, what, it, what Jesus says is that, that we are promised to have lots of difficulties and trials as believers. But what He promises is that He is with us through those trials and through those difficulties. And he's promising, his promise is that he uses, actively uses all of those difficulties and trials and hardships in our lives to bring us to maturity, to draw us to him, to grow us and to strengthen us in him, to produce endurance in us. As a believer, God uses all your trials and difficulties to produce endurance and steadfastness and faithfulness in you. That's his promise. And we know that God is faithful to keep all of His promises. Amen? See, a beautiful thing happens when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior. Yes, you're forgiven of your sins, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, but really it's just the tip of the iceberg. See, your salvation is so much more than just your sins being wiped away, just the bad being taken away. When Jesus saves you, yes, your sins are, here's the fancy word for it, your sins are imputed to Him. That means that even though Jesus is the completely sinless Son of God, the Bible says that He became sin for you. That means that He took on your sin. He took on my sin. He took it on. He bore it. He wore it. He suffered and bled and died for it. He suffered the Father's wrath for our sin that we deserved the wrath of God for. He suffered in one instant, in one moment in time on the cross, Jesus endured, God the Son endured an eternity's worth of the Father's all-powerful wrath. And He did it for you and me. He did it so that you and I wouldn't have to. Yes, he, he took on our sin. That's what that means when He forgave us of our sin. He took it on. 
But not only did He take on our sin, when He rose again, He lives today to clothe us just like He was clothed in our sin. He clothes us, clothes each of us who believed in Him. He clothes us in His righteousness. He not only took away our badness, but He clothes us in His goodness. See, just like Jesus had no sin of His own, you and I have no righteousness of our own. We don't have anything that we can claim as goodness in ourselves. We have no real wisdom of our own. We have no real holiness of our own. We have no redemption, no possible payment for our own sins. But just like Jesus took on our sin, He lives today to give us His righteousness. He lives today to give us His wisdom. He lives today to give us His holiness. He lives today to redeem us, to buy us back from the slave block of sin. You see the contrast here? See, before God called you to salvation and before you responded to Him in faith believing, before you were saved, no matter how smart the world thinks you are, you're foolish. No matter how, no matter how strong the world thinks you are, you were weak. No matter how high and mighty the world thinks you are, you were lowly. No matter how popular and how much the world loves you, you were despised. But that's not who you are in Christ. No, when you responded to God's call and trust Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior, when you're saved, no matter how foolish the world thinks you are, you have full access to the wisdom of God. No matter how bad or how disgraced or how shameful the world thinks you are, God sees you as perfectly holy and righteous in, in Christ. No matter how common or how useless or how needy the world thinks you are, God has set you aside and elevated you for His holy purposes. He's declared that you are His workmanship. And He'll accomplish His mission on earth through you. No matter how you've been used, no matter how you've been abused, no matter how you've been cast aside as worthless by the world, God has seen you as worth the infinite price of the blood of His Son. And He paid that price for you. In Christ, He brought you out of slavery and bondage to sin, not so that He could make you His slave, but so that He, so that He could set you free because He loved you enough to not just hold you as a slave, but to adopt you as His own child. <laughs> oh, He loved you that much. So that He could make you an heir to His kingdom, a joint heir with His very Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So He could spend eternity with you. See, in Christ Jesus, you're no longer foolish. You're no longer weak. You're no longer low. You're no longer despised. You're no longer nothing. In Christ, you're God's wisdom. In Christ, you're God's righteousness. In Christ, you're God's holiness. In Christ, you're God's child. You're His very heir. You carry His name. If you haven't heard anything I've said here this morning, this is, this is what I want you to know. If you think you're something... And you need to realize that you're really nothing without Jesus. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you don't think you're something. Maybe you think you're nothing. Listen to me. If you think you're nothing, then you need to realize you are infinitely something 
in Jesus. See, this isn't a matter of self-esteem. We get, we get preached the false gospel of self-esteem to us all the time, and all it does is put people further in the pit. This isn't a false gospel of self-esteem. No, this is a matter of Christ's esteem. Are you with Jesus? Are you in Christ? See, I can guarantee you this. Whether you're a believer or not here this morning, I can guarantee you that God has called you. Just the fact that you walked in this door this morning, from the time that you walked in this door this morning, God has consistently and patiently and graciously been calling you. He's called to you through our loving fellowship. When you walk in and you see a bunch of people who look different and act different and come from different backgrounds loving on each other, no matter what the scare of, of some silly virus is, still hugging on each other and loving on each other. When you see that, that's not normal. And you've seen the Gospel in that. And He's called you through that. He's called you through that. He's called you through our singing Singing songs that, that might not be the style of some folks and might really be the style of other folks, but man, it's a beautiful thing to sit up here on the front row and not watch and just hear the singing coming from behind me. That's not something we do. That's not something folks do. But you've heard the Gospel. You've heard God's call through that singing. You've heard it through our fellowship. You've heard God's call through our prayers. You've heard God's call through our talk about sacrificial giving. And you've heard God's call through the proclamation of the Word this morning. There's no doubt that everybody who walked in here that God has called. So it's in your court. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to His call this morning?